this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking at Matthew 15, 16, and 17, and Mark 7 through 9. But if you don't mind, I just want to focus mostly on the events of Matthew 17. Right at the beginning, Matthew 17 begins like this. After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. So there's a couple of candidates in the Galilee area about which mountain this could be. Some say Mount Hermon, some say Mount Tabor. The idea of a high mountain apart is here, it's not part of a range, it's kind of off by itself. And the idea of after six days is what makes people believe that they journeyed from Caesarea Philippi, featured in Matthew 16, and then went up to Mount Tabor. The idea of a mountain, again, think of a temple. So mountains are like nature's temples. You meet God halfway. Verse 2, And was transfigured before them, his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light, and behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Verse 4, Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And I just, I just love that phrase. If I could make an admission here, have you ever gone to a church meeting that you didn't want to go to? Or ever gone to a church meeting that you thought, why are we having this meeting? For me, sometimes when there's a stake priesthood meeting that begins at 7 a.m., I have a less than celestial attitude. But I go, perhaps out of duty. That's the admission that I'm making. But have you ever gone to a meeting, kind of maybe begrudgingly? If you haven't, I know I have. And then something happens, someone says something, and you have that same feeling that Peter had. Okay, it was good for me to be here. Maybe as some of you listening in seminary fall asleep a lot, but maybe you went one day and something happened and you said, okay, that was pretty good. <laughs> it was good for me to be here. That little phrase, I just, I just love. Elder Ronald A. Rasband in October 2021 General Conference began his talk like this. My brothers and sisters, as I stand in our beloved conference center once again, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Peter. Lord, it is good for us to be here. President Thomas S. Monson in April of 94, he said this. So this is, this is way back, 1994. He said, President Benson's chair, situated between President Hinckley and me, has been unoccupied at this conference, although he has viewed the conference proceedings at his apartment by television. Our hearts are full of love for the prophet of God and his teachings ring in our ears. If he were standing before us at this moment at the conclusion of this conference, I believe he would say, Lord, it has been good for us to be here. One of my favorites, Elder Neil A. Maxwell, that you might not remember, some of you, the listeners, I remember him, but he said this in the April 1985 General Conference. He said, Suppose Peter, who said this, had not left his nets straightway when he was first called by Jesus. He might have become the respected president of the local Galilean Fishermen's Association. But he would not have been on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, Moses, and Elias and heard the voice of God. And then he would not have said, you know, it is good for us to be here. And I think about the other places they could have been. The temple was the center of activity. That was in Jerusalem. They were not there. All of those scribes and Pharisees and doctors of the law 
who felt like they knew the law of Moses backwards and forwards. But where was Moses? <laughs> Moses was actually there at the Mount of Transfiguration. And here's Peter standing there. And I don't know the mind of Peter, but you can imagine, here I am just a fisherman, and that's Moses right there. That's Elias, and that is Jesus. And then he hears the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him, in Matthew 17, verse 5. So sometimes as I look at those phrases, I think it is good for us to be here, if you emphasize the word us, this was important for Peter, James, and John to hear this. It is good for us to be here where they were with the Savior. And we all know from the Doctrine and Covenants that there's a verse that says, Stand ye in holy places and be not moved. And one of the things that's hard about that is sometimes you're not sure. You're supposed to go to school every day. Is that a holy place? Maybe you're invited to a party and seems okay, and then maybe something happens. And you start to get that feeling, the opposite of Peter's phrase, it's good for us to be here, you might get that feeling, I shouldn't be here. And boy, at that point, that's when you've got to, to act quickly. I know that you might remember Elder Gary Stevenson's story about a student who applied to an, a prestigious study abroad program in Japan and was accepted. And as all these students from around the world came, the first couple of days of orientation, registration, whatever, a flyer went around speaking of a party that there would be. And, you know, sounds fun. How do you know if a party is a holy place? Well, you don't. Elder Stevenson told this story in the October 2012 General Conference in a talk called Be Valiant in Courage, Strength, and Activity. And he said, following an elevator ride to the top floor of the building, John and his friends navigated the single narrow stairway leading to the rooftop and began mingling with the others. As the night wore on, the atmosphere changed. Now this is where it's so interesting to me, because how do you know? At first it might have been just fine. The noise, music volume, and alcohol amplified, as did John's uneasiness. Then suddenly, someone began organizing the students into a large circle with the intent of sharing marijuana cigarettes. John grimaced and quickly informed his two friends that it was time to leave. So, what happened? This is just me talking now. He had that feeling. We shouldn't be here. Opposite of, it is good for us to be here. So, he had that feeling, and it's time to go. Okay, back to Elder Stevenson, almost in ridicule, one of them replied, John, this is easy. We'll just stand in the circle. When it's our turn, we'll, we'll just pass it along rather than smoke it. Then we don't have to embarrass ourselves in front of everyone by leaving. This sounded easy to John, but it did not sound right. He knew he had to announce his intention and act. In a moment, he mustered his courage and told them they could do as they wished, but he was leaving. One friend decided to stay and join the circle. The other reluctantly followed John down the stairs to board the elevator. Much to their surprise, when the elevator doors opened, Japanese police officers poured out and hurried to ascend the stairs to the rooftop. John and his friend boarded the elevator and departed. The thing that's so interesting to me about this is the timing. 
What if they had been at the top of the stairs? Well, they happened to be at the elevator doors when they opened and the police poured out and ran to the rooftop. What if these guys had still been up there? When the, back to Eller Stevenson. When the police appeared at the top of the stairs, the students quickly threw the illegal drugs off the roof so they wouldn't be caught. After securing the stairway, however, the officers lined up everyone on the roof and asked each student to extend both hands. The officers then walked down the line, carefully smelling each student's thumbs and index fingers. All who had held the marijuana, whether they had smoked it or not, were presumed guilty, and there were huge consequences. Almost without exception, the students who remained on the rooftop were expelled from their respective universities, and those convicted of a crime were likely deported from Japan. Dreams of an education, years of preparation, and the possibility of future employment in Japan were dashed in a moment. Now, there was a, a talk I recorded with Deseret Book years ago called Stand in Holy Places, where I elaborated more on this story, but I just love the idea of sometimes you don't know if it's a holy place. It's neutral, a party, school, but if you ever have that feeling, I shouldn't be here, the time to act is as quickly as this story illustrates. I remember Sister Sharon Larson sharing a talk in general conference once about a young woman who went to a party that some popular people that she wanted to be known by or wanted them to know her were there and she wanted to be there so she went to this party. This story is told in the April 2002 general conference and Sister Larson told the story like this. Heather told us about a time when she had been invited to a party with the popular people of the school. As she walked in the door, the music that was blasting through the house hit her spirit. She felt sick inside. Then, friends started disappearing into darkened rooms. And I think we can probably guess they weren't going in there to read for the strength of youth. Heather said, At the party, I soon realized I had to make a choice. Either these people or my standards. I couldn't have both. I knew I did not want the words I was hearing or the movie scenes to contaminate my thoughts, no matter how popular these people were. I knew I did not belong there. Okay, that's just another way of hearing that feeling, I shouldn't be here. As I was waiting for my mother to come and get me, I looked out the window in the darkened night, and there, shining on the hill like a beacon, was the temple. It was like the Lord was reassuring me that I was doing the right thing. I don't think that happens if she goes to the window and looks out and sees America First Credit Union, right? She's not going, oh, I should get a home equity loan at only 4.9% APR, OIC. No, I think she sees the temple there like a beacon and it tells her, you're doing the right thing. There's that. It is good for me to be there. It is not good for me to be here. So, those are important feelings to pay attention to and kind of even start to make a list in your mind of places that you feel comfortable and safe in, that your standards feel safe in. Interestingly, Sister Larson said, it is possible the loneliest times are when we are surrounded by people, even friends who are making wrong choices and we have to stand alone. There are some places it would not be safe for you to go, even to help someone in need. The Lord said to stand in holy places. There are places where the Spirit would never be. You know where those places are. 
stay away from them, she said to the young women. Anyway, a great story that reminds us again, sometimes you're, you're on what you might think is neutral ground, but your gift of the Holy Ghost might kick in and say, you, you shouldn't be here. Well, then the time to act is right away. Another interesting story in Matthew 17 is toward the end, when Jesus, kind of in a teaching moment, says to Peter, What thinkest thou, Simon, I'm in verse 25, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute, of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then the children are free, saying, We shouldn't have to pay this. But then verse 27, Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, Go thou to the sea, cast an hook, take up the fish that first cometh up. When thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take, and give unto them for me and thee. The phrase I love there is, lest we should offend them. And I heard Dr. S. Michael Wilcox talk about this once, and I loved how he expounded on this. He said, what is Jesus telling Peter? I don't have to do this. This is not necessary. And then the great lesson, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them. Wouldn't it be nice to pay our taxes that way? <laughs> mm, that's a tough one. I think the power of this story lies in the word notwithstanding. If we can avoid offense, let's avoid it. That could be the simplest of things, such as driving down the freeway. Sometimes I don't give the other driver the lane when he wants it. Do you do that? My personality changes when I get behind the wheel of a car. It's terrible. Have you ever noticed how driving, politics, and sporting events can change your whole frame of reality? Too often I think, I'm still quoting Brother Wilcox, I have the right of way, get out of my lane. Who do you think you are? The Savior would probably say, give them the lane notwithstanding. How wonderful it would be if when there is a mess in the house, we would say, I didn't make it, but I'll clean it up anyway. Jesus was not concerned about rights. He avoided giving offense when he could. We hear many strident voices today crying out, rights, rights, rights. Too many people invite confrontation and argument with an insistence that could not care less what other people think or feel. Who cares if offense is given? What they want is their own, and often in the most trivial of matters. So this little phrase, lest we should offend them, showed that Jesus felt like that was more important than making the point of who he was and who he should have to pay tribute to. And I think that's a, that's a great point for us. Some things matter, some things don't matter so much. And we don't have to matter, make them matter more than they do in our interactions one with another. Well, I love this story on Matthew 17. I hope this has been helpful for you today, and we'll talk to you next time.